Thanks for listening to episode three of the Dynasty Diagnostic Podcast. Tune in every week for a thorough inspection of the Dynasty landscape to learn how recent news affects your roster and to gather strategic tips and tricks to give your squad that turbocharged boost it needs. Please welcome your head technicians, Aton Mosia and Sam Lane. You can find me on Twitter at FF underscore WonderKid. Sam, where can the people find you? You can find me at FF Stompy. All right, so FF Stompy, uh, there is one thing that I'm sure is on your mind and on every single listener's mind. We have to get a Scott Fishbowl story. Tell me how you did it. How'd you take down the field, man? Um, so this is going to go again. Well, I, and I guess it's more redraft than anything, but, uh, I went running back heavy very early. Um, and it, and it took a little bit of luck. So I went Kamara, CMC, and then, and then I went Doug Baldwin in the third. So you would think, oh, well, that's not great. But then somehow Joe Mixon dropped to me in the fourth. Um, and if you actually look at my roster, my wide receivers were terrible. I thought they were great to start. And this was before Doug Baldwin had the knee injuries or the, the knee issues. Of course, so you would Baldwin, expect 1,007, 8 from him pretty much. Right. Um, so I had Baldwin. Uh, and then I went Demarius Thomas because I thought he was going to be a top 12 mm-hmm. again with Case Keenum. And then I had Corey Davis as my wide receiver three. So starting out, like looking at it, I was like, oh, this is awesome. Um, my wide receivers were terrible. I did have Robert Woods. We'll talk to talk about him later. Um, so he was my only consistent wide receiver. Well, he's a wide receiver and, one. Yeah. And, and I mean, throughout the season. So I, I got Philip Lindsay, I think, on the first waiver wire uh, because obviously we're Broncos fans. So we were following them closely. Saw what he did in Pratt, was doing in, in training camp, what he did in the preseason. So I picked him up very early. So really, I had legitimate top four running backs every week. Um, and they were, and there were times where all four of them fish, finished in the top 12. So that really helped me. I had Jared Goff and, uh, Mitch Trubisky as well. And they had, uh, seasons that they took steps forward. So yeah. It, oh, and then, and then I forgot I had George Kittle as well. Uh, George so Kittle. I had a lot of, I was very fortunate to get like, Probably, I probably had the best running backs. I, I would say probably in the Scott Fish Bowl. I had very good QBs and I had a great tight end. So I basically mitigated all of the terrible wide receiver play I had. So yeah, that was it. Uh, and, and it was, it was an adventure on the final because I, I had completely forgotten what the scoring was. So it's, it was a 0.5 PPR and I thought it was a one point PPR. And I needed a what I needed one catch from Dejon Hamilton. I thought to win with one point PPR. And so I got it and I was like, "Yes, I won." And then I re- <laughs> then I finally looked up the score and it was a zero point five. I was like, "No, I lost." <laughs> and so I thought I had lost. And even the guy who who was ahead of me even declared himself winner. And then about an hour later, the score corrected and I was actually up. And I was like, "Whoa." is that right? And we, it was basically sitting there for three days trying to please no, no corrections, please no stat corrections, please no stat corrections. And finally no stat corrections on Thursday. And here we are. Man, crazy story, crazy story, crazy times, but that is a absolutely huge accomplishment, man. All props to you. 
That's uh, that's really that interesting that you, you mentioned that uh, heavy or RB heavy draft strategy, uh, and then you also you know had the caveat by saying one of the reasons that you were able to do it is because you just hit on a lot of late round picks at other positions mm-hmm. uh, that actually turned into grade A talent. Uh, George Kittle would probably be uh, first and foremost when thinking about that. Um, is that something that you think? Uh, you're going to be able to do kind of year in, year out? Is that something that you really plan for? Is that just kind of uh, reading the draft room as you're there and just, you know, kind of going with your gut? Um, well, this season for me, just doing, and, and really this was my first season as an analyst and just looking deeper into the players that exist in the tiers for each position I I personally thought that the cliff from the tier one and two running backs to tier three and four dropped off significantly. So once you got beyond like Joe Mixon, like you had Alex Collins, Kenyon Drake, Jay Ajahi, and then like it just dropped off the face of the planet. Um, so me right right now, running back seems to be relatively shallow but the top 10 to 12 are super high tier running backs um so that's kind of was in any of the startups i had that was kind of the uh strategy i had was going after those running backs early because i felt that wide receiver was a lot deeper than running back is this season and and in the seasons coming up as well with late season emergences from running backs like chris carson uh as well as uh <clears throat> Marlon Mack coming on later in the season, uh, Derek Henry, of course, of note. What do you really do with these guys moving forward into next year? I mean, you just mentioned that it's kind of a common perception that uh, running back is relatively shallow, but with all of these guys joining that group uh, and really not too many falling out of it, uh, what does that mean for that position moving forward in, into next year's draft? Also keep in mind uh, that uh, for as stocked full uh, all the teams are with their running back rooms uh, this year, next year uh, in, in the 2020 draft, there's a whole, or two years from now, I guess, in the 2020 draft, uh, there's a whole uh, new array of running backs that are com- going to come and, and vie for mm-hmm. those jobs. So, who do you think is, is really safe and who do you think uh, is is kind of a flash in the pan that might be replaced relatively soon? I hate to say this, um, and I'm actually writing an article for FF Statistics on cells right now. I'm afraid of Philip Lindsay, especially with a new regime coming in. Um, I think he could be replaced relatively easily by, one of his, by his own teammate in Freeman, really. Um, I don't know if that's going to happen, but yeah, like guys like Henry, um, he did, he does this every once in a while where he shows us these flashes. And I think he did it last year in the playoffs too, where he just shows us these flashes of his, what he can do. And then he just disappoints. So the first half of this season, he, he was super disappointed. Even not, it was like for the, through the first 12 games, he was super disappointed. Um, Kenyon Drake, we just don't know what he's going to do. Jay Ajayi, he's probably uh, – that one's going to be rough. But even going into 2020, like you're probably going to uh, – we'll see what Le'Veon Bell does. Um, well, we assume that by that time, Bell would be locked into a long-term contract if he's playing. Right, 
Right. And, and even then though, I, I don't know if I trust him to, he might be able to do one more season, but do you really, do we really believe that he can go multiple more seasons? He will be what, 28, 29 at that point in time. Um, but like even bigger names, LaShawn McCoy will probably be gone. So there's going to be a lot of turnover, but the top end right now is super young. Um, so I can, I mean, this was the first time in a while that we've seen a lot of the top end guys that were taken early finish. Right. When they were taken. Yeah. Right. So I, I can see that going on for a while, but then you guys got, you got like Nick Chubb, Dalvin Cook's coming back around, um, Darius Geis. We don't know where that's going to, where he's going to be next season. I mean, oh, in I, terms I of, I know where Geis is going to be next season. Health, in terms of his health, like what? That's true. He's had some injuries if in he's college. Gonna, well, and, and if he's going to deal with what Dalvin Cook did, and, and we, we had this whole um, infection thing that happened. Well, so. the Vikings, and uh, while we're on this subject, uh, hamstring injuries, both the Vikings and the Jaguars really mismanaged their situations with hamstrings okay. uh, this year. They kind of played uh, their running backs a little bit too early and kind of gave them too many reps too soon, and uh, they were really... Uh, kind of off the boil because of that all season. Yeah, and and well, and and really, I think and hopefully that teams are starting to recognize and, and there's literature out there about this that with ACL injuries come soft tissue injuries the following season. Um, Compensation so, injuries. Yeah, so I mean, that's something that listeners can be wary of too. Is like with guys like Will Fuller, who, who's already had soft tissue uh, issues in the past. Now he's dealing with an ACL, and he might be dealing with the soft t- t- tissue injuries the first half of next season. Uh, same with Cooper Cup. Maybe you'll see the same thing with Cooper Cup. So listeners need to be wary about those ACL injuries. Yes, a guy can come back and be ready, but not everybody's Adrian Peterson. Exactly. A lot it takes of, a while. A lot of, a lot of players take – a little bit of time, whether it be half a season or or just a full season in general, to get back into actual playing shape. Um, that that is definitely a good point. I wouldn't say for those specific guys. Uh, just say the rest of the team situation is kind of uh, set up in a way that that team really functions well. Having them in the lineup, Will Fuller uh, actually makes. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins' numbers better when he plays uh, because he has the ability to stretch the defense and to actually push the safeties back uh, from double-teaming uh, D-Hop <clears throat> the entire time he's on the field. Cooper Cup, uh, we saw Jared Goff uh, have a really up-and-down season, and it seemed like that started just around the time that Cooper Cup uh, was uh, ruled out with that ACL injury. So I think... We, as Dynasty owners and as Dynasty gamers, uh, should keep ACLs in the back of our mind and know that uh, we may need a replacement for early on next season. But ultimately, I think these guys are going to come back strong and and just be really, really good assets moving forward. So um, if at all possible, uh, if other people are kind of uh, worried about the ACL issue and about the long-term injuries that could come as a result of that, uh, definitely do your due diligence and, and buy low if you can. Or even even wait until they they struggle first four games, buy low, and then reap the reward in the second half of the season. But yeah, definitely buy low opportunities out there for those injuries. 
All right, so uh, before we get under the hood of today's roster, let's dive into our five-point inspection. Uh, so the first is, who is 2018's most overvalued player? What do you feel uh, was just really not living up to their name, uh, Cash Day, when it came down to their level of performance this year? Uh, mine was Corey Davis. Uh, we just talked about it for my Scott Fishbowl team, but uh, I think a lot of people were hyped on him entering the second season, especially after his performances in the playoffs last season, uh, looking forward to him being the, the wide receiver one for the Tennessee Titans. And I think a lot of people were just high on the Titans as a whole, making a comeback from the exotic smash mouth, which is kind of ironic because they kind of went back to exotic smash mouth the last five games or so, which we were, was actually effective for him. We were all wooed by Lafleur, and we thought that he was going to change <laughs> right. things and make it a pass-happy offense, and it just didn't work out that way. Guess what? Coaching doesn't actually have transitive properties. Just because he worked for uh, Sean McVay does not make him a genius. But uh, I, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. We'll let him work another season. But beyond the point, Corey Davis was very disappointing. A lot of it had to do with quarterback issues, quarterback injuries, etc., um, he had, he was 37th, ranked 37th in yards per reception, 51st in yards per target, 90th in true catch rate, 34, which, which takes into account the amounts or the, the catchability of the balls, um, that were thrown his way, uh, 34th in fantasy points per route, 65th in fantasy points per target. And he had a 10% drop rate, which was one of the highest in the league, um, and, and again, he, he didn't have a great QB or offense situ, offensive situation, but I think a lot of people expected him to make that leap into, while top 12 is kind of rough, especially with the wide receivers that exist right now in the game, I think a lot of people were expecting kind of a top 16, top 18 type season, and we didn't even get a top 24 type season from him. Personally, so. I uh, I feel like Corey Davis is kind of trapped just in a really, really bad situation when it comes to uh, the Titans are going to have to pay Marcus Mariota soon if they decide he's their quarterback in the future. And if they win games, they're really not going to be able to make that decision. They're going to be hamstrung and they're going to be forced to bring him back. Uh, so you have a quarterback that is a low-volume passer in Marcus Mariota. Uh, you're in offense that... Uh, seemingly has given all the volume to you because there's really no other targets of consequence uh, in that offense uh, once Delaney Walker got hurt. I mean, what what really happens next for Corey Davis? I feel like, yes, he can improve as a player and maybe he can become a little bit more efficient with the uh, actual uh, targets that he does get. But eventually, you've got to think that the Titans are going to bring in some help in terms of getting somebody to catch passes. Deion Lewis was supposed to be that guy for them this year, and it didn't work out that way. Uh, so they're going to continue to bring uh, in other pieces around Corey Davis. And when that happens, the only thing he can really hang on to at this point is his crazy volume. What happens if that's taken away? What's his ceiling? Right. Um and, and, and it might just be that they lost like Delaney Walker and a lot of teams were able to focus on the one pass catcher because Tomlin Taylor didn't take a step forward. Tajay Sharp showed something. Johnny Smith showed a little bit at the end, but really would, I don't think defenses were going to be afraid of the rest of those pass catchers. So a lot of teams were able to focus on Corey Davis. So it might be that they benefit from bringing in 
a wide receiver from this draft class to be to start across from Corey Davis and take away some of that attention. So my uh, 2018 most overvalued player, and I think I kind of took a different view of this question maybe than perhaps you uh, did. This is not a player that I dislike or a player that I think is not good. I think this is just a player whose uh, potential and whose, I guess, allure kind of outweighs the production that we've seen to date. And that player for me is Kenny Galladay. Uh, for me, he's thought of as a wide receiver one. He's thought of as somewhere in the wide receiver 12 to 15 range in Dynasty. And I think that's just a little too high at this point. I don't think that it's not going to be something that he reaches in his future down the line a few seasons from now. But uh, we take a different view on targets. Like you just mentioned with Corey Davis, there weren't very many other targets in that offense. And so maybe defenses were able to key in on Corey Davis. But on the flip side of that argument is the fact that, like Corey Davis, Kenny Kenny Galladay for most of uh, this season, whether due to injuries or trades, uh, was the the one-man band in Detroit and didn't perform uh, to the level that you would expect somebody that was getting as heavily targeted as he was uh, would perform. Uh, Here's just a few uh, quick stats. Uh, 62.1% catch rate, which is actually 62nd in the league. That's not great. Uh, He had a 1.33 yards of separation per target, which is 71st in the NFL. So clearly uh, he's not a receiver that's really making it easy uh, for his quarterback, Matthew Stafford. Uh, He really uh, did force Stafford uh, to have to uh, put it into tight windows to get it to uh, Kenny Galladay. Stafford had a 102.6 QBR when targeting Kenny Galladay, which was actually good for only 41st in the NFL. Again, uh, this is a wide receiver that's just given uh, tons and tons and tons of chances. Uh, So you would think uh, that more of these chances would turn into uh, potential scores and big plays that would really boost that, but that didn't necessarily happen this year. He also uh, ran 2.21 or had 2.21 yards uh, per route run, uh, which was actually 30th in the NFL. Uh, again, showing that the numbers that he did achieve uh, were uh, mostly due to compiling. Now, I'm not going to say that uh, Kenny Galladay isn't a good receiver and isn't going to be a good receiver down the line. And I think this was just a really unique opportunity for him to showcase his talent this year uh, because that offense was so empty and we didn't necessarily see it happen. Now, he's a second-year receiver, and... Uh, we can always say that, you know, it usually takes receivers anywhere from two to four seasons to fully mature and to become what they're going to become in the NFL. Uh, but I personally think uh, Corey Davis is closer to a high-end uh, wide receiver two uh, than the wide receiver one that he's thought of. I, I think, for me, he's a wide receiver one in terms of his future value. Uh, and I think it largely has to do with his ability to um, produce with another receiver in the uh, across from him that is worthwhile. So not TJ Jones, not Bruce Ellington, um, but with Marvin Jones and Golden Tate there, he produced five straight double-digit fantasy point games um, in, in the first five. Uh, and then, and then there was a lull there. Uh, I'm, guessing it was post-Golden Tate. 
I would have to look at when Golden State was traded. Um, but then he kind of took off again. Uh, so really, in 11 of the 17 games, is sorry, more than that, it was 12 of the 17 games. It's a 16-game season, idiot. Um, <laughs> in 11 of the 16 games this season, he had double-digit PPR fantasy points. Um, and I don't think – and maybe maybe with on Johnson there, it might be a tiny bit different. But now we have Jim Bob Cooter gone, so we that, – that bad offense that we saw this season might get a boost next season. Um, but I, I would say that – Kenny Galladay is a wide receiver one there. And even with Marvin Jones, and I think this is the same argument with Corey Davis, is with a with a worthwhile receiver across from him, you're not able to double team either, either Kenny Galladay or Marvin Jones. So they're going to get beat, or defenses are going to get beat if they're doubling. So I think with Marvin Jones across from him next season, you'll see that uh, production come back that we saw the first uh, five games of this last season. We definitely shall see. Uh, and again, you know, I'd, I'd be the first to say that I wouldn't be surprised if we do see him break out uh, to be that uh, true wide receiver one that people kind of take him for. I just think that it's it's a, a very special circumstance uh, that we witnessed, and I, I just don't know uh, if that is necessarily good for him or bad for him uh, for the long run. Uh, but we can move on a bit. So uh, we talked about 2018's most overvalued players. Uh, now let's talk about a uh, guy that you think is 2018's most undervalued. Uh, sure. So really, and this is my MVP this season because I had him everywhere, but it's Robert Woods. He, like like I talked about earlier in, in the Scott Fishbowl, he was my only he was my only viable wide receiver really. But um, he was ele- he was eleventh in air yards, thirteenth in yards after catch, seventeenth in weighted opportunity ratio or Whopper. Eleven point uh, had eleven point three A dot and zero point eight racer, which is better than DeAndre Hopkins, Odell Beckham Jr., Devontae Adams, um, Antonio Brown, Tyreek Hill, etc. The dude just produces, and he did it all season. And he did it even uh, – he even produced when he had Cooper Cup there. Um, so I just – I think he's kind of – and I, I've had arguments about this. He's just kind of the forgotten man there, even though he, I think, is their wide receiver one. Now you can make the argument, okay, it's a wide receiver 1A, 1B, 1C type situation. But – the guy has been effective the last two seasons for the Rams. And I just think he is being undervalued because of Brandon Cooks, Cooper Cup, and and, uh, Todd Gurley. What is undervalued to you? What, I mean, where would you place what the community feels Robert Woods is worth? Honestly, the guy is 26 in the last two seasons. He's had like legitimate back-to-back seasons where he was putting up high-end wide receiver two or wide receiver one or low-end wide receiver one numbers. So him being that young, I, for me, like, I think a lot of people value him around, this is more of a, a pick value, trade value, that he's looking, you're looking at mid to late firsts. And I honestly think he's worth an early first. I, at, 
or more. Just because he 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 shows he's shown he can be efficient. He can, he's shown he can be the wide receiver one in an offense. Granted, this is a very very good offense. We will see what he if he can go to a team that knows how to use his skill set, and he can be a wide receiver one somewhere else. But maybe he stays with the Rams, and if he stays with the Rams, and I think he will into next season. And I, you're the contract guy, so I don't know what his contract looks like going forward. I think he might be signed through 2021 or 2022. I'll be able to tell but, you. But, yeah, I if he's still with the Rams through the end of at, – at least through the end of Goff's um, contract game. for the next two seasons, I, I think he's extremely valuable wide receiver. I do think Robert Woods is a very, very valuable wide receiver. Like you said, uh, that's definitely a 1A, 1B, 1C situation. I really do think that they're all uh, pretty much equal uh, in terms of their actual impact on the team and their impact on fantasy rosters. Uh, My issue, as we've already spoken about, I'm just going to quickly kind of go over it again uh, one more time here, is love Robert Woods. Nothing against Robert Woods. Um, I do think Robert Woods is a wide receiver too and needs other targets around to be able to be as effective um, as he's shown on the Rams. I don't think that's a bad thing. There's a lot of very productive wide receiver twos, and I think he can be one in the league. I just don't know if it's going to be on the Rams roster for much longer. Uh, The Rams are in a cap situation. Uh, They have people to pay, and they don't have funds to be able to spread around uh, to all those guys they need to bring back. Uh, obviously, we just mentioned Jared Goff. He's going to need to sign a new contract, uh, contract extension, most likely in 2019. Uh, so that's going to take some money off the books uh, or on the books for the Rams. Um, and if they're looking at all to shed uh, some cap, we've already seen what Josh Reynolds can do. Uh, Josh Reynolds is an outside receiver. Uh, when Cooper Cup is playing, Robert Woods primarily lines up on the outside. I know he can be in the slot. Um, but he seems like a like-for-like replacement, and he's already on the roster. Uh, I believe uh, Woods is due uh, something in the range of 6 to $7 million over the next uh, couple of seasons. Uh, if, uh, for whatever reason, uh, the Rams do need uh, to shed some salary, they already have somebody that can essentially do what Robert Woods does on that roster if they so choose Uh, to go that direction so while i think that robert woods is very very valuable and i share that sentiment i think he's really worth a late first in a vacuum i think it's very very wise to understand what type of team would want to make this deal Uh, you're not going to want to be a rebuilding team Uh, you're not going to want to to really have him be the uh, core of uh, your receiver group but uh, if you're a couple of pieces away, if you need that strong wide receiver two to make that last push for the next couple of seasons, for the next couple of immediate seasons, then yeah, Robert Woods is your guy. So uh, I can definitely see uh, where you're coming from with that one, Sam. Now, I, <laughs> I I will say that I've thought about trading Robert Woods in one of my leagues. Uh, just And this is mostly because I have, <laughs> speak of the devil, Kenny Galladay and Juju Smith-Schuster, oh, wow. along with some uh, younger guys like Christian Kirk, Dante Pettis, uh, Traquan Smith. So I, I, I've been thinking about moving Robert Woods and a late 
2019 first to upgrade it at running back. Um, just because you, you do make a valid point that it might be the situation because we, we, we saw in Buffalo, he didn't do great. He was efficient in Buffalo, but there might be an argument that Buffalo just didn't know how, or, or that regime in Buffalo didn't know how to use the wide receivers because they had Chris Hogan, Watkins, and Robert Woods, and they s- still were terrible. Um, so, but, but I mean, it's a valid argument and, and it might be one of those times to sell high where Robert Woods just finished as a wide receiver one this season. Is he going to be able to do it again? Who knows? I think he's going to be good for an, at least one more year, but it might be time to sell. My uh, 2018 most undervalued player. Um, and this is, again, based on value, on what we can expect uh, this next season as Dynasty managers were constantly trying uh, to be ahead of the game. It's Kenyon Drake, and I understand the hate, I understand the vitriol that I'm going to get for announcing Kenyon Drake as my most undervalued player, but, I mean, the numbers kind of back it up. Uh, now, success rate is a problem for Kenyon Drake, and the issue with uh, running Frank Gore and even Kalen Ballage over uh, Kenyon Drake by Adam Gase, uh, I guess the logic was, you know, Kenyon Drake is more likely... Uh, to be in those situations where he loses you yards uh, before he busts that long one. But the fact that he can bust that long one, he has that explosive ability, uh, could potentially make him a very, very uh, valuable fantasy running back uh, if he just gets volume. Uh, Just, again, going over some of the numbers, he has a 32.7 juke rate that's ranked 10th in the NFL, Uh, 48 evaded tackles, 18th in the NFL, 5.9 yards per touch, 7th uh, in the league. Uh, and a 16.4 uh, production premium, which again is 13th in the NFL. Uh, despite all of those stellar numbers, he actually has only garnered a 30 or 45% opportunity share, which actually ranks him as the 36th highest running back in the league. And if you really just think about that for a, se- a second, he's actually used as a backup player, and he's put up RB1 numbers. Uh, sporadically when whenever he's given the volume uh, that he needs to do that he just needs more, more opportunity and he should receive it uh, because Adam Gase uh, is gone so uh, I really do think that moving forward Kenyon Drake uh, really needs to kind of be at the forefront of uh, many dynasty managers minds uh, this draft season uh, there's always that one guy that we peek on too soon that we think is going to be good this year and it actually takes him one more year I think Kenny Drake is going to be one of those guys. And he's been ultra efficient this season. Um, he finishes as, as an RB2 again, despite base hating him and despite all of the hate that he received. He finishes RB14 in PPR. It's RB14. So, I mean, given he only had 120 carries. He only had 73 targets. He finishes RB14. So, I mean, given a, even just a slight uptick in opportunity, you're probably talking about an RB1. You know, you just got rid of one the one like guy that hated him more than anybody and brought in a 35 or, or 800-year-old Frank Gore to start over. Also, no offense to Frank Gore. No offense to Frank Gore. Of course, of but, course. He's but, a, he's I mean, 
when you have a guy with that talent and you don't use him, something's wrong. So getting rid of that and, and hopefully they bring in somebody that will actually use the talent that they have. I mean, he might be a very, very good buy this offseason. Again, uh, my uh, look of this whole uh, case of Kenyon Drake is just examining the Dolphins as a whole. Where is the talent on that team? Do they have wide receivers that are going to command consistent targets? No. They could potentially pick one up in the draft or in free agency. Uh, Do they have a quarterback that's really going to be slinging it around? No, because they don't even have a quarterback for next season. I can pretty much be assured that uh, we're not going to see Ryan Tannehill ever uh, be a Dolphin again. So where does that leave the team? What that tells me is that team is going to have to find an identity next year. And what they will be able to do using the talent already on their team is to run the ball. Uh, And as long as Kenyon Drake gets that volume, uh, like Sam just said, I mean, he was RB14 getting backups carries. If he gets first string carries, uh, Kenyon Drake can definitely flirt with RB1 status uh, as soon as next season. I would keep in mind that I believe next season is the last year that he is on contract. So it's very, very, uh, I guess, pertinent to watch Kenyon Drake closely, understand what happens with injuries, what happens with all the situations surrounding him this year, uh, because that may have a huge impact on what his value is uh, moving forward just because, again, of that loaded uh, 2020 RB class uh, that we talked about previously. That's that's another interesting topic, too, and I think we've talked about it before, is pay attention to contracts. Um, You can buy guys low now in anticipation of their free agent years and maybe reap the benefits of, like, say, a Jarek McKinnon situation. Pay attention to people's contracts when they expire. All right, so uh, now we're just going to take a quick view into 2019. Uh, Let's look at some of the guys that we're going to be excited about drafting this offseason. I say we're going to be excited. I'm not going to be excited at all. I traded all my draft picks because (laughs) I went all in and uh, it it didn't quite work out for me. But I'll try to get as excited as I can uh, for the listeners uh, let's talk about my favorite uh, pick in this draft. It's Noah Font. It, it's got to be Noah Font. Uh, T at Iowa. He's 6'5", 241. Probably needs another 10, 15 pounds on that frame to really be a true inline uh, tight end, but he can definitely play both roles. He's a new age move tight end, which has shown uh, some ability to play inline as well. He can definitely uh, chip block. He's not... Uh, great at the point of attack, but again, what college kid really is uh, fresh out of school. Uh, but he is hyper-athletic. He should test ab- amongst the best at his position at the combine. He's already a quality red zone contributor in college. Uh, he had 11 TDs in a sophomore season, 7 TDs this last season with 500-plus yards in each of those seasons as a tight end, which is a huge accomplishment in school. Uh, he had 16.5 yards per reception in 2017, 13.3 uh, yards per reception in 2018. So he's not going to be a guy that's just going to catch it and follow all uh, uh, Jesse James. He, he's definitely going to be uh, one of those guys that can get you some yak. And 
just as an added bonus. Uh, again, he's coming from Iowa, and Iowa actually has a reputation for producing uh, very good uh, tight ends over the years. Most recently, uh, George Kittle was the last uh, tight end from Iowa, and that just really shows uh, the type of talent they produced at that position and the type of teaching uh, that those coaches uh, really instill into those uh, kids at that specific position uh, to have them uh, really all kind of make the, the switch to the NFL and, and be uh, productive as soon as they really get there. So um, as with any tight end, I do think it's going to take a couple of years of seasoning uh, for Noah Font to really show you what he's got. But I mean, the only cons against him are, uh, like I mentioned, he's going to need to gain some strength to be a complete uh, tight end to really be able to block at the point of attack. He struggled with some uh, concentration drops in college. And uh, towards the end of his collegiate career, uh, because of some of these drops, he was sparingly used. So he really just needs to work on becoming more consistent and just gaining the coaches and the quarterback's trust. As long as he does that, uh, if you put him in a situation where he is uh, anything higher than the third target on his offense, uh, we're really going to see some huge production from uh, Noah Font moving forward. It's going to be like what we've seen out of uh, Kittle, like what we've seen out of Howard. Uh, some of these newer guys that have really kind of come in and, and kind of hit uh, the ground running. I, I This is going to be a little bit of a fire take. He might be the best tight end of the last three classes. It's, I love, it's like, crazy. I He's the safe one of Joku, Right. I like, I love David Njoku. I love uh, OJ Howard. I love Dallas Goder. But Noah Fox is a freak of nature. And yet, and he hasn't even been used this season, which is a scary part. Yeah, it's, <clears> it's going to be fun, the team that gets him. Now, the only, not the only, but I guess the main concern with me is Devin Funches did a lot of the things Noah Font did in college. Uh, a lot of the move around the formation stuff, half used as a tight end, half used as a wide receiver. And his transition to wide receiver, I feel like, didn't really utilize him to the best of his ability. And we can kind of see that now that he's, you know, third on the totem pole uh, in terms of wide receivers on his own team. Uh, so yeah. I hope that Noah Font isn't really... Uh, turned into that or isn't used incorrectly at the next level. I'll say this, though. That situation with Carolina, probably not the best for Funches because you're talking about a guy that probably needs a more accurate passer, uh, more of a box-out, 50-50 ball type guy, and Cam Newton's not that quarterback. But true. imagine, imagine if you will, um, no font on the New Orleans Saints. That would be Jimmy, insane. Right. Jimmy Graham type rule. Yeah, that, that would be nuts. But again, uh we're we're forgetting about our guy Dan Arnold there. I know he yeah. only he only did one thing in one game, and that's yeah. the only reason anybody knows his name, but, but he is I mean athletic. I, the point the point stands though is if you get somebody that is accurate like that, or here's another one. It, Maybe the Seattle Seahawks. That would be um, interesting. If you get somebody that can be accurate like Russ, like uh, Drew Brees, 
then you, I mean, they can use a guy, a very athletic tight end. And, and speak of the devil, Jimmy Graham was the, uh, <laughs> the common denominator between those two. But I mean, the point stands that if you have a tight end that is that athletic and has that good of hands, you better be able to use him. And unfortunately, Devin Funches went to a pretty bad situation. That is true. Uh, definitely need to watch landing spots uh, to figure out exactly what these guys are worth closer to draft day. So we'll definitely be bringing you that as well uh, down the line. Who are you most excited for uh, from 2019? Um, so this running back class isn't great. I mean, there's names out there, but it's just when we compare them to the 2017 and 2018 classes and even the 2020 classes, this is a – relatively poor running back class, but there's one guy that I've keep actually there's two guys I've keyed in on. Um one being Benny Snell Jr. from Kentucky. Uh I'm a guy that likes college production. So guys like Justin Jackson, guys like Josh Adams, who saw some success this season. Um Benny Snell's another one of those guys. Uh he's had three seasons of a thousand plus yards rushing, um, including his best season in 2018 where he had uh, over 1,400 yards rushing at a five uh, five yards per carry average, 16 touchdowns, had double-digit rushing touchdowns every season. He's had he's shown some ability to catch, but that's not really his, his best attribute. But he uh, is built like a running back. He's thick. He's, he's built like a bowling ball, really, um, can run through the line. Uh, has great vision, great size. He's very tough. He's very powerful. He can pass protect, which is huge in this day and age in a, in a um, NFL that is very pass happy. And we saw it especially this season. Um, unfortunately, or I, I guess not, he, some of the cons he, he has, he's not overly athletic. He's not, he doesn't have a good burst or acceleration. He's not great in space. Um, he's not overly elusive either. Um, and like I said, he's shown he can catch the ball, but he's, he just wasn't used that way. So he might be a Melvin Gordon type where we just don't know that he can. Um, but that's, I, I guess the jury's out on his, um, pass catching ability. But yeah, just, just the ability to produce has been awesome for him in college. And that's why I really like him. Um, and even in his bowl game against Penn State, he went for 144 yards and two touchdowns. Um, so I just – I think he is kind of being overlooked. You got have guys like David Montgomery. Um, and overly – and really, like I said, this this uh, running back class is relatively weak. Um, but I think Benny Snell is a, a sneaky guy, probably could ha- be had in like the second round of rookie drafts. That might end up taking a job like Josh Adams did. That's exactly why I would go after a guy like Benny Snow. Uh, he just seems to have the uh, NFL profile and, and should be able to uh, land on a roster. And we know that there are unstable situations out there like uh, Peyton Barber in Tampa Bay. Like uh, we should even uh, kind of talk about somebody like Chris Carson, even with all the stuff that he's done this year, even with the thousand yard season. There are just a, a few unstable situations out there that are kind of calling for uh, some added competition. So uh, we could potentially see some good things coming from him uh, in 2019. Uh, but like you said, I don't think that we're going to have to reach in the same way that we did last year for those running backs early. Uh, 
in this draft, we're going to definitely want to go for those wide receivers. Um, and if that's the case, then it really means that you need to kind of have your team set. Understand that it's going to take a while for any wide receivers drafted to produce. Uh, most wide receivers aren't juju. Uh, so if you're really investing a high pick in one of these guys, uh, just know that it may take a long time to see any return from them. So uh, if you're actually looking to uh, get that last couple of pieces uh, to get you over the hump this year, you're going to really want to make sure that you do uh, deal those picks uh, to try and to uh, get some established talent this year while you can uh, that you know will really perform for you uh, this year. I also want to bring up one more real quick. Uh, Travion Williams, the running back from Texas A&M, just set the record for Texas A&M rushing yards. And the dude absolutely tore apart NC State uh, this uh, two days ago. For 236 yards and three touchdowns in the, in the Gator Bowl. He, he's kind of an un, another under-the-radar guy that a lot of people aren't talking about. But this guy might be a monster in the NFL. He just he was he had good contact balance. He could run through tackles. Uh, he's quick. He just he looked fantastic against NC State. So that's another name to keep in mind as well. We've uh, we've gone over who our uh, number one prospect that we're most excited about uh, coming out in 2019 is who's your number one prospect to avoid? Who is this year's? Ronald Jones. Um, <laughs> it's tough, you know. Comparing these guys to Ronald Jones, that's gonna, that's gonna, that's a little rough. I think you're selling those these guys short. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I don't really like Ronnie Anderson coming out. The dude was a four star recruit, absolute monster, and he could be huge in the NFL for for all I know. But his injury injury history scares the crap out of me. He's a, carbon, season it. he's a carbon copy of Ryan Matthews. Right. Season in injuries in uh, three of his four uh, college seasons, including an ACL in 2018. Um, he's low. He's got a low BMI as well. Uh, so he's 6'1", 219. And I, I think his BMI is below 30, which is not great for an NFL running back. You just don't see a lot of NFL running backs being successful being that small. Um, or not that small, but that. I guess low of a BMI. And, and honestly, it's it's really just the injury history. Uh, it scares scares me. Um, and I think injury history has a lot to do with success in the NFL. Um, he may be an athletic freak, but if he cannot survive uh, the college game, I don't know how he's going to survive the NFL game. Sadly enough, uh, that's really upsetting because when you actually look at talent level and body of work, Ronnie Anderson is probably the most talented back in this draft class. He can catch, he can run uh, both uh, pretty pretty equally. Uh, he, he's one of those guys that can really has the ability of being an all-purpose back if he can put it together. It's just that, uh, as you said, it, there's been so many instances where he hasn't been able to stay on the field. So... Um, just kind of zooming out and taking from a pure talent perspective, uh, if you were to draft a guy like Ronnie Anderson and then maybe deal him about halfway into the season, uh, I think you'd be definitely uh, doing your team a favor because he's going to give you some weeks uh, that really show 
uh, his potential, I think, before, uh, like uh, Sam said, he might uh, begin to break down. So I would definitely look to if you maybe have a pick in the late first, uh, early second, somewhere in that range, uh, go ahead, spend it on uh, Anderson, even if you don't necessarily need a running back, and just wait for those boom couple of weeks and then get out while you can at a huge profit because he just showed uh, the the force that he can really be. So um, I, I kind of am in agreement with you on I think he's a prospect to avoid long term, um, but just taken at face value, I think there's something there for Anderson at OU. All right, so my prospect to avoid, my number one prospect to avoid this year, this is Ronald Jones, number two. This is the guy I was alluding to when I actually made that comment. Bryce Love, uh, 5'10", 2'02". Uh, he should have declared last season, uh, despite the injury that he suffered at the end of last season that actually caused him to miss some games because those injuries didn't go away. Uh, they continued to plague him throughout this year uh, as he actually only logged 10 games, the lowest of his collegiate career. Uh, over four years, he actually also only combined for 49 receptions, so I'm not sure if he is a competent receiver, uh, which you know is an issue regardless of uh, your size, but at 5'10", 202 is really going to be a problem if he wants to get involved in the NFL game because he's not going to be able uh, to really be an inside runner uh, in the NFL at that size. Um, also, uh, his 2017 outlier season was his only one over a thousand yards from scrimmage every other season uh, was much less than that the most yards uh, he ever received through the air uh, was 252 in his freshman season and his yards per carry last season uh, was only 4.5 which again was the lowest of his career uh, he really does compare uh, to rojo in terms of size uh, his uh, running style, and uh, the fact that he's not much of a weapon in the past game. Now, uh, colleges are notorious for uh, misusing or maybe just not utilizing to the best of their ability their uh, pass-catching running backs, um, but it is a red flag uh, when somebody at love size uh, doesn't also have that ability. I just feel that uh, he can get too easily game-scripted out uh, if he doesn't have uh, something else to offer when he actually gets uh, to playing on Sundays. So I would be really, really careful uh, with Bryce Love. He does still have some name cachet. I would make sure that I'm just ignoring that when my name is called and I try to look for the next prospect on my board. I would probably take Anderson above Love just because I think we'll see uh, some booms from Anderson uh, before we see them from Love. Uh, so that's just my two cents on the matter. All right, so let's plug in the analyzer and let's get to this week's Dynasty Diagnostic. Our episode three roster was submitted by Dynasty Bean Counter. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at DFBeanCounter. Be sure to give him a follow. Uh, do you want to be part of next week's show? Please follow the podcast at Dino, D-Y-N-O, Diagnostic uh, on Twitter. Leave us a review on iTunes and send us your roster. Uh, we are constantly doing random number draws uh, to get uh, these rosters in. We are having a blast going over all of the fun, fun, exciting rosters that have been sent our way. So please continue to do so. We really, really appreciate that uh, from the community. But uh, before I go too deep into it, let's 
just take a really quick look at DF Bean Counter's roster. Uh, so at QB, uh, he has uh, Pat Mahomes, Andrew Luck, Baker Mayfield, and CJ Bethard. Uh, also keep in mind, this is a 12-team Superflex PPR TE Premium League. Uh, so let's talk about his quarterback room. Uh, Mahomes, Luck's, Look, Mahomes, Luck, Mayfield, and CJ Beathard. This, uh, <laughs> this, this, this is a nice quarterback room. What, what do you have to say about this one? Well, essentially, you might have four starting quarterbacks. Um, Beathard will see what happens, but there are some QB situations. Miami, uh, unfortunately, the Denver Broncos that could use some help. Um, so we'll see what happens with Beathard. But, I mean, you're elite. You have Mahomes. You have two, my two top super flex QBs in Mahomes and Luck. And then you have Mayfield, who's a top 10 dynasty QB at this point. Um, so, honestly, you're set for probably the next decade at least. Uh, that's an elite room. And you may have to end up actually trading one of them as we go look further down at your roster. Yeah, this group is absolutely insane. I mean, Mahomes had 50 touchdowns. Luck uh, wasn't quite on pace for that, but was pretty close himself. Uh, he was basically a, a one-man show early on uh, in Indianapolis before they found their run game. And with the addition of the run game, he's been just as effective, uh, if not more. Um, Baker Mayfield uh, came on right as Kitchens started to call the plays, and Hugh Jackson was no longer part of the team. Um, I think that's definitely something to keep in mind. I really think that of all the rookie quarterbacks this year, uh, that Mayfield, while he might be the best, uh, he was also in the best situation. Uh, Cleveland Browns have a decent offensive line. Uh, they have a good running game in Nick Chubb. Uh, they even had a decent one in Carlos Hyde. I have no idea why he was played over Chubb, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, he had Jarvis Landry. Uh, he also has David Njoku uh, and Antonio Callaway, Higgins, even Brashard Perriman are definitely putting in some work for Baker Mayfield. So of all the rookie QBs, he definitely was put in the situation uh, that was uh, most primed for him to su succeed. And I think that's something that uh, just as a dynasty manager, you really need to keep in mind. Don't look at quarterbacks in a box anymore. Don't don't put them in a vacuum. You can't. Uh, the best way to look at quarterbacks is through the lens of the team that they operate on, uh, because that team is going to give you an idea to, to really what this quarterback is going to be able to do. Uh, is that a team that's going to be in the red zone off uh, often? Is that a team that's going to give this quarterback uh, short fields off turnovers? Or lots of different things. Uh, that uh, teams, I guess, play a role in how that quarterback actually functions as a fantasy asset. I think it's less about talent and it's more about the surrounding talent uh, of of the guys that we see. I think the, the prime example of this is a little bit of the drop-off that we saw from Aaron Rodgers this year. Yes, a lot of that can be attributed to uh, being injured. Yes, we, we all know that his uh, knee was messed up early on, but... Uh, not having uh, established weapons, not having established wide receivers, not having established uh, running backs really until the midpoint of the season really hurt uh, his effectiveness and his efficiency. So 
Um, anytime that you're trying to find the next big thing at quarterback or the next late round steal at the QB position, find an offense with a competent play caller. Find an offense with at least a strong uh, number one, uh, potentially a number two receiver, and you want at least one more target in there, whether that's a competent uh, slot receiver or a tight end. Uh, and you want uh, an offensive line that's going to give them some amount of time. Obviously, if you're any type of decent quarterback, you're going to have some wiggle to you and you're going to have some uh, ability to escape in the pocket. Uh, but the mark of a great quarterback and, and the signs that you see from the, the best quarterbacks are uh, what they actually do uh, when not pressured uh, because they're actually not pressured the vast majority of the throws that they make. Uh, so we really just want to see uh, some basic level accuracy and you expect the rest of the guys on the roster uh, to really give you value for that accuracy moving forward. Yeah. Uh, all right, so running backs, uh, we have Joe Mixon, we have Dalvin Cook, Darius Geis, uh, Derek Henry, Elijah McGuire, Kenneth Dixon, and Darth Darren Sproles. Uh, so for Mixon, uh, for me, uh, he is on the cusp of being an RB1, if not an RB1 already. I think the only issue uh, with Mixon is the issue with a lot of running backs, and that's just making sure that he stays healthy over the course of the season. Um, Cook, it's the same thing, although uh, I would add that uh, I think we're beginning to see some cracks in uh, what we expected from Cook this year. Obviously, uh, injuries played a major role in what he was or wasn't able to do this season, but I think that Vikings team has more problems uh, than maybe it initially uh, led on, and I don't know if uh, Cook is going to be that bona fide RB1 that we all thought he was going to be uh, off of uh, the four games in his rookie season and the few games that he played this year. Uh, what's your take on Cook? What do you think uh, Cook's value is long-term, and do you think uh, he's been exposed a bit as maybe uh, something less than what we thought? Right now, it's hard for me to gauge just because, like I talked about earlier with ACL injuries, the first half of this season was basically lost because of soft tissue uh, soft tissue injuries likely due to that ACL recovery. Um, so, I mean, he came on the second half of this season. I uh, had six straight double-digit fantasy point games. But, I mean, you're right. This team seems to have its issues uh, on the offensive side of the ball. It seems like they may have paid Kirk Cousins $84 million for Case Keenum-type production, which, I mean, I think a lot of people were like, oh, they're gonna, he's going to put us over the edge. But I think a lot, also a lot of people saw this coming now, especially the Washington Redskins fans. Now, I, I'm not going to say that Alex Smith is better than Kirk Cousins because that's ridiculous, but I, this offense, especially towards the end of the season, struggled a lot. So, I, Cook showed his flashes, uh, especially that game in Miami, but or versus Miami, but yeah, I... I think you're, we're probably, you gotta assume he's going to be an RB2 going forward, which is not, not bad by any means. But 
the value from last season, those first four games from, from 2017 till now has definitely dropped. Um, so I'm, I'm actually fine, fine with him as your RB2 behind Mixon because I actually think Mixon is, he showed me a ton towards the end of the season. And I think he's a top 10 dynasty running back going forward. So having Cook as your RB2, I'm actually, I, I, I feel pretty good about these running backs. Um, but yeah, Cook, it's, it's really hard to gauge what this offense is right now. Let's talk about Darius guys. Uh, Washington Redskins, uh, they're going to hopefully have their rookie, uh, back and healthy next season by OTAs just because he had that ACL tear, uh, so early. Now, on paper, by the numbers, the Washington Redskins uh, O-line doesn't look great over the course of the season, but I think you need to contextualize that. You need to understand that the majority of that offensive line was actually in the medical tent uh, for most of the season. So uh, when they actually had all their guys in there, they were one of the top uh, O-lines in pro football. So they have the potential uh, to do that. If you put a runner uh, like guys behind that line, like you said, I think the only a uh, concern for him is whether or not he can stay healthy. If he can, we've already seen the success that Adrian Peterson uh, had this year, seemingly out of nowhere. Uh, what do we think Geis is going to do next season? Well, so let's not take away from what Adrian Peterson is. He's one of the best running backs of all time. Even at, what, what is he, 32, 33 right now, he still has the vision uh, he still has the burst. He doesn't have the breakaway speed, but he's still a great running back. So we need to give him a lot of credit. But yes, that offensive line, I think lost three starters, which they, they did last year again, too. So uh, I don't know what's going on there, but if ice can be healthy again, you gotta be wary about these ACL injuries. And I would think, I thought, oh, he, he'll be fine because he'll be almost a year removed. From an from tearing his ACL, but with that infection, you got to be a little wary. Um, so he might he might struggle those first few games, and and I think that's a buy low opportunity for a lot of teams. I think he's going to be great. I think he's a great runner. Um, I don't know about his pass catching ability, but he was the uh, he was a slot receiver in the U.S. Army game for high school like all stars. So we know he can catch the ball. We just didn't see it in college. Um, but they have Chris Thompson there, so they may not need him. Beyond the point. I think what we saw from Adrian Peterson um, is very promising for guys going forward. And having him as your RB3 is awesome. Because a lot of people have him as their RB2. Um, and then you have guys like Henry and McGuire behind him who aren't bad backups to guys. So... I feel pretty good about it, but I think you might see him struggle a little bit, especially coming off of an ACL injury. And if you do, if you have him, do not sell. But if 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 you see him struggling in the first half of, of next season, I would be trying to buy because I think he's going to be a good running back for a few years. Oh, you have to buy, guys. Uh, again, I kind of do the same thing with guys as I would uh, Rodney Anderson. E- even if these guys get injured, uh, the brief explosion uh, that they'll have at the beginning of their careers, because uh, running backs tend to, to really get that production going early, 
is going to be enough to make them really valuable for a long time through any injuries that they might have. So you'll definitely have a piece to resell if it doesn't necessarily work out the way that you would like it to. Um, so there's there's definitely a value in getting these guys while you can. Uh, Darius Geis is at the top of that list. Uh, and then you mentioned briefly uh, Henry and Elijah McGuire. I'm not sure about Elijah McGuire. I'll actually kind of let you uh, take that one. But my take on Derrick Henry is that this is kind of what we thought he would be, right? I mean, maybe not recently. Maybe the shine wore off over time. But initially, we thought he would come into the league and be a bruiser and be basically a Leonard Fournette-type running back that you know will go ahead and, and get you uh, four to five yards of carry and bust that big one uh, every now and then as long as he's given ridiculous amounts of volume. And that's what we saw uh, these last few games. He was given something like 30 touches a game uh, for the last uh, four or five contests, which is absolutely preposterous. That's just something, uh, that's the type of volume that nobody sees. And as a running back, I feel like that's the single most predictive indicator of fantasy value, touches. If you just get tons and tons and tons of touches, you're definitely going uh, to uh, produce. The issue is, if you're not efficient with those touches, and this is where uh, the conversation with Fournette uh, comes back into play, if you're not efficient of uh, with those touches, you may not continue to command them. Uh, a new offensive coordinator, a new team might come and say, hey, we want to utilize you in a lesser way because we feel like uh, there's wasted opportunities that we're leaving on the field running you out there. And I think that's the problem uh, that we'll see uh, with Henry as well. Uh, again, I always contextualize everything. And putting this into perspective, understand what led to Henry's explosion. Uh, Marcus Mariota was hurt all year. He was hobbled all year. That passing game wasn't necessarily working out. And that defense was dominant, meaning uh, when the Titans got a lead, they knew that they were going to have a really strong ability to keep that lead uh, because that defense had their back so they could afford uh, to go three and out every now and then trying to establish the run, trying to run out that clock. And that's a very special set of circumstances that you need for that type of running back to be good. I think because uh, the Jaguars struggled, struggled on offense so mightily uh, this year, uh, struggled through the air, that really impacted uh, what they were able uh, to do or to not do on the ground as well because a lot of that uh, production out of those types of backs is TD production. So if you're on a team that's not necessarily going to get you in the red zone very often, uh, you're really in a tough stretch. Uh, so I would be careful uh, with Derrick Henry moving forward, though uh, I do think that he could be a good asset uh, as an RB3 or something beyond that, which is exactly what you have here. So definitely a, a quality running back room for me. Yeah, I mean, as your, as your RB, really our RB4, I, I'm feeling fine with Henry there. Um, if they, if the Titans line played like they did in 2017, I think you're looking at Henry a little bit differently this season, but they seem to struggle this season which I think led to the struggles of not only Derrick Henry, 
but of Deion Lewis, because I believe Deion Lewis had his lowest yards per carry of his career this season. So if they can get back to their 2017 selves, then you're looking at a very good running back moving forward. Uh, in terms of Elijah McGuire, I, it, he's very intriguing to me. Now, he didn't look great at the end of the season, though he had 14 or more carries in each of the last each of the Jets' last four games. He was also able to catch the ball. He had um, three, three, and two receptions in each of those last four games as well. Uh, but his yards per carry average in, in those last four games was 3.5, 2.3, 2.5, and 2.3 again. So he was not efficient by any means, but they're giving him the volume. Um, but the other aspect is Bilal Powell is – going to be 31 next season. And I don't know necessarily what his um, contract is. Let me look up real quick. Um, oh, his contract's up after this season. And sorry, he'll be 30 next season. And then Isaiah Kroll uh, is owed $5 million if he's on the roster next season, but only has a $2 million cap hit. Or dead, sorry, dead cat hit. So the opportunity seems to be there for Elijah McGuire. But it's not. And, well, we'll see. Um, he, you're going to love this. He was compared to <laughs> one of the all-time greats by, well, now probably his former running backs coach. He was compared to LaDainian Tomlinson. Now, I don't think he thinks he's LaDainian Tomlinson, but he has that kind of, he has those that skill set, um, just in terms of he can run the ball, he can catch the ball. Uh, so he's, he's intriguing to me. Um, he's your RB5, which it doesn't hurt you to keep him on the roster. They don't really have another more effective running back. And this class, though, I mean, they have a ton of cap space next season. And there are some very good free agents out there. Yeah, there's going to be Le'Veon. There's going to be Tevin Coleman. Well, yeah, well, well yeah. There's a few others. I mean, if it's Le'Veon, that's one thing. Tevin Coleman's like, I am very, very mediocre on. He's actually part of my sales list as well. Um, but I think as your RB5, um, because he's young, because they seem to, they, they've given him some opportunity here. He's, he's intriguing to me next season. Am I saying he's going to be an, even a top 24 back? No, but you don't need that on your roster. If I could, I'm selling Elijah McGuire as soon as uh, possible. And I'm selling him on the notion that people think that he has a prime opportunity next season. Uh, but you just, you just said it all. I mean, the contract and the contract situation for the entire team – uh, would really show that he doesn't really have the opportunity that it seems that he does. Uh, first of all, uh, he's not necessarily signed uh, to a long-term deal. I know he's on under contract for next season, uh, but there just aren't very many people on that team under contract for next season. They just recently signed uh, Quincy Inunua uh, to a contract, and the rest of the cupboard is bare, so to speak. So, we already know that that team is going to go out and to make a lot of additions in free agency, uh, probably during the draft. 
to every part of that offense to try to get Darnold some weapons around him while they still have him on a cheap rookie deal. And if anybody has learned anything from what the Ram, uh, from what the Rams uh, have done with their team building and what uh, the Eagles uh, did with their team building as well in recent years, it's just surrounding their young rookie contracted QBs with as much talent as possible. So if there's one spot that we're going to see just a huge influx of cash being spent, it's going to be in New York. If it's not New York, it's probably going to be Indianapolis. But these situations for those players on those teams as a dynasty uh, gamer, you have to be really, really wary of knowing every move that that team is making because nobody's job on those teams outside of Sam Darnold and Andrew Luck is safe, really, if, if you think about it. So uh, don't don't necessarily expect this to be a thing uh, next year. I would kind of jock it up uh, to the, maybe the same type of thing you're seeing from Gus Edwards. There's some value there now. I don't know if it's a long-term type thing. All right, so uh, now we can move into wide receivers. Now, this is a real problem area for you. I see uh, everywhere else you're just stacked with talent. Uh, pretty much up and down uh, the roster. And uh, the wide receiver, you have some talent there, but it seems like most of it is still yet to mature. We have Corey Davis, uh, DJ Moore, Christian Kirk, uh, Josh Reynolds, Zay Jones, uh, Rashard Higgins, uh, and then the list kind of goes on and on and on from there. Uh, but just starting on Corey Davis, Moore, and Kirk, I actually like the trio. Uh, I like the trio just in terms of pure talent. But again, when factoring in situations, there are some red flags about some of these receivers. Corey Davis, of course, we just talked about the fact that he's going to be in a low-volume passing offense for the foreseeable future. Also, uh, his targets have nowhere to go but down as soon as anybody else of note is added uh, to that offense as a pass catcher. DJ Moore, uh, we just talked about Cam Newton and uh, the effect that he has uh, on his wide receivers. Uh, I think it's going to be really interesting what happens in uh, Carolina next year just because I think that we're going to see a real shift in how that passing game works. Now, I really don't know who's going to take the hit, but somebody will have to. I don't know if it's going to be Christian McCaffrey or uh, both Samuel and Moore, but with Funchess gone, as I expect that he will be uh, in his free agent year, uh, they're going to have uh, Ian Thomas. They might have Greg Olson. Uh, coming back, obviously, they're going to have uh, that tandem of receivers, and then it's all centered around uh, CMCs. So uh, where are you really going to get that consistent volume uh, to DJ Moore? Luckily, uh, he's one of those wide receivers that's a deep ball threat, so you really only need one play to go right, uh, but it's hard uh, to bank on when exactly that'll happen, and it's really hard to guess that. So I'd be careful uh, with expecting too much too soon from DJ Moore. Christian Kirk is in a tough situation as well uh, because he is on an offense uh, bereft of any other talent, so he's going to get doubled. I assume Fitzgerald is, is finally going to call it quits this year, uh, and he's going to be working with uh, a quarterback who's still relatively green. So uh, there's not too much pointing in the direction of uh, Kirk having a real uh, breakout season uh, as soon as next year, though I do think that it's going to happen uh, eventually. And then Reynolds, Jones, Higgins, Parker, and all the rest of the roster are really kind of 
depth pieces at absolute best. So what I think the problem with this wide receiver core is, is I see a lot of, well, I see a wide receiver two in Corey Davis. I guess that's somebody that I could trust for that role. And then I see a lot of guys that could maybe possibly go off this week and have no consistency uh, the following week. So um, I would really want to add at least one top uh, 15, top 24 receiver, if not two, uh, to this receiver room uh, just to make sure that I know that I'm having some consistent production uh, from my guys and I'm not playing Russian roulette in terms of who to start uh, each week. The talent is there. I just don't know if uh, it's completely uh, matured yet. Yeah, I, I'd feel a lot more comfortable if basically the positions they're in were shifted back one. So Corey Davis being your wide receiver two, Moore and Kirk, wide receiver three, fours, whichever way you, you feel. Um, and then, like you said, Reynolds, Reynolds, A. Jones, Higgins are all intriguing pieces for the future, but nothing that you can trust there. And then like Lasley, Lazard are all like pieces that belong on a taxi squad. So if Corey Davis was your wide receiver too, like, like Aton said, or you shifted basically all of your wide receivers back one, one peg. And let's say you add, um, a top 10 talent there, uh, trying to trade for, or I mean, trying to get like guys like, and I don't even know if you can do this at this point, Juju, um, uh, Mike Evans is actually a buy low candidate right now. Um, despite him going for 1400 yards this season, a quiet 1400. But if, if he was my wide receiver one with these guys, I would feel a lot more comfortable. Um, but like Aton said, there's just so many question marks there. What the future holds for Corey Davis, DJ Moore, Christian Kirk. Um, there's a lot of talent there, but you're not going to be able to trust any of these guys next season. At the very least, to start the season. Um, so, yeah, I, I would be, and we can talk about this, and this is where I was talking about trading one of your quarterbacks, um, but we you also have a lot more uh, assets that we can talk about here in picks, but I would be trading some of those assets for one and maybe even two top at least one top 12 and two top 24 wide receivers. And the interesting part of this is because the way your team is set up and uh, all the ages of the other respective positions and uh, the ages of the guys that we just mentioned in your current wide receiver core, you can afford to go older here. Uh, if we get the word that Julian Edelman is uh, going to be coming back, uh, he's a guy that would definitely help this wide receiver core and he would do so relatively cheaper, cheaply. So uh, this, uh, particular uh, wide receiver core doesn't necessarily need to uh, be you trying to find somebody for the long haul. You might actually already have those pieces. You just need to make sure that you have guys that you know can can week in, week out, get you anywhere from 10 to 15 points. And uh, these guys that you currently have right now will do it, uh, but you'll have to guess as to when. You just want somebody that's yeah. going to do that on a game-to-game -game basis. AJ Green's another one, too, that you could be looking at. Exactly. I would actually feel comfortable with compiling a couple of those assets and then maybe some of the other ones that you mentioned in terms of picks uh, to, to go ahead and get a guy like AJ Green, uh, like Julio Jones, potentially, if you could, um, like Antonio Brown with all the uncertainty going on about 
his uh, potential uh, trade uh, situation this offseason. So uh, I think there's a lot that you can do with this roster that won't completely mortgage your future, uh, but still allow you to kind of rest assured that you're going to get production from that spot uh, this year. Uh, tight ends, you have Evan Ingram, David Njoku, and I believe that's Ryan Griffin. Uh, I'm going yeah. to pretend like Ryan Griffin doesn't exist. Uh, but uh, this is a TE Premium League, so having both Ingram and Njoku uh, is definitely going to be advantage for you down the line. Now, mm-hmm. very similarly to the wide receiver group, this is another one where I feel like you have all the ingredients there. The stew's just not ready. It has to be on the boil a little while longer, and you have to get that one older piece to kind of just get you by while everything uh, kind of melds together. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I agree. Um, we saw Ingram come come on uh, at the end of the season, but that was without uh, Odell, OBJ, um, Njoku, he had his flashes again this season, and and he's my favorite of uh, tight end of the last two classes. But um, until they like actually uh, feature him, you, you got to be wary about that. So yeah, I, I think adding a a veteran piece there, and I always refer back to Jack Doyle because I think Jack Doyle keeps getting undervalued just in terms of. Ebron's there. Ebron finishes the top five tight ends, but Jack Doyle still received seven targets a game when he was in there. Um, and we know that Andrew Luck can support two tight ends, uh, two top 24 tight ends. Um, so I think Jack Doyle might be a piece for you. Um, that's a little bit more PPR worthy. Um, maybe not touchdown worthy because it seemed, or, or, or he, he won't produce those touchdowns. Because it seems like Ebron seem, is that uh, target in the red zone, but Jack Doyle giving you five catches for forty yards in in tight end premium, that's a pretty nice day. And in this tight end landscape, especially that that looks pretty good. That's a top twelve uh, day. So until one of Ingram or Njoku becomes more consistent, I think somebody like Jack Doyle is somebody that you can target that will help you next season. Doyle would be a perfect buy for me. Uh, if Delaney Walker comes back, he'd be another one that I'd be looking for. Again, uh, the uh, the goal isn't to necessarily spend a lot to, to fix this position. It's not something that necessarily needs fixing. It just needs uh, something to hold it over, uh, just kind of uh, someone to, to fill the spot while everything matures. Uh, so uh, while we're on this topic, let's actually move onto all of those assets that we were alluding to earlier. So I don't understand how you have both this team and this bounty no. of picks. I mean, no. you are, I mean, <laughs> I, I feel bad for the other people in your league because you, you really haven't made for a long time coming. You have three 2019 first round picks, a second, uh, three thirds and a fourth rounder. And, uh, that doesn't even describe what you have in future years. You have four 2021s, for example. So um, what this basically uh, says to me is uh, this is a really easy fix, if that's the case, if you're going to give me all of that to work with. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't need to move away from anybody on your roster when it comes to uh, age considerations 
or anything like that. Uh, you're going to have people increasing in value uh, for years after this. So what you can probably afford to do is to package some of those picks to go ahead and get that veteran receiver that we were talking about earlier. Even if it's somebody like T.Y. Hilton, maybe he isn't uh, necessarily at the pinnacle of uh, what you would expect to have to pay for uh, one of those top-end guys, but just someone that you know uh, will be able uh, to at least give you top 24 production every week uh, would be immensely helpful, and this is more than enough ammunition to get it. Uh, for somebody like T.Y. Hilton, I would feel comfortable uh, giving a first, a second, uh, and all of those thirds, or a first, a second, and then maybe uh, we can look at uh, one of those quarterbacks to package if you can also get something uh, in addition uh, to, to that side of the deal. So I think that uh, you really do have the bounty to go out and to fix the one problem spot you have. And once you do, uh, you're going to have a juggernaut for a long time. Right, and, and we had talked about earlier how wide receivers can take a little bit of time to um, break out. Uh, so those 2019 firsts in this class that is super wide receiver heavy and not so much running back heavy, I would be trading those three 2019 firsts away for those two wide receivers we were talking about, whether that be an A.G. Green and T.Y. Hilton or um, – Maybe you can get a Robert Woods for a season. Um, Tyler Boyd. Uh, who knows? Kenny Galladay. Um, but you could get two top 24 wide receivers, including probably a top 12 wide receiver, with those three 2019 picks, I think. And and, and really probably all the picks in 2019, because it's just not a strong class overall. Um, so if you could trade those away and get those two top 24 wide receivers, I think you're going to be looking pretty good going into next season. Just as a thought, uh, if Adam Thielen happened to be traded in your league right at the very height of uh, Adam Thielen's uh, heroics this season, only for that owner to then kind of turn around and realize that maybe he didn't necessarily uh, get what he paid for, this might be a good time for somebody like you to go out uh, and target a guy who's recently underperformed uh, who's a little bit longer in the tooth, who might come a little bit more cheaply uh, than those other receivers that we mentioned. I think because uh, I think if you're able to do something like that, uh, you'd, you'd definitely have a more stable team and you'd still have the ability to be flexible in the future. Right. All right, so uh, what is our final diagnosis for this team? Uh, for me, uh, we're almost there. Uh, I mean, we just need a tire rotation, maybe need a, a new mm -hmm. coat of paint, and, and we're good to go. Uh, wide receivers, for the most part, in leagues that aren't super flex leagues, um, are the uh, most valuable position in dynasty leagues simply because of the potential for longevity uh, that those positions offer uh, for as much as we know about trying to think long-term. Obviously, anything can change, but uh, just as a general rule... But uh, you have a roster that's so deep at every other position uh, that this one is really secondary for you. And I don't think you need to really uh, win the league with that. Uh, all you need to do is be able to negate your opponent's uh, points from the wide receiver spot uh, and just be somewhere within 15 to 20 points of what they score there. And you should continue to win uh, most games. So 
again, it's really just a matter of getting that one solid wide receiver two-piece uh, that's really going to take this team over the top. Um, I'm going to differ a tiny bit because I think the wide receiver, it, your, your wide receiver hole is a pretty big hole. So I'm going to say you probably need a new transmission. So you're going to have to spend a little bit. But once you get that transmission in there in, in terms of an elite wide receiver or two top-end wide receivers, you're going to be you're humming like a, like a new car. So, yeah, I think, I think new transmission, uh, and, and you'll be good to go here. All right, so uh, bonus question. Let's, uh, let's just ask really quickly. Uh, this is the second day of 2019, so uh, let's – try to uh, put some forethought into this, uh, foreshadow a bit. Uh, this time next year, what will you have been uh, most thankful for from uh, the fantasy season? What do you expect to be the big storyline next season? Obviously, this one uh, was Patrick Mahomes and all of the passing yardage, all of the scoring. Uh, how do you think next season is going to look? Oh my God. Wow. That's thinking too far out for me. Um, that the Broncos make the playoffs. That's just a little, uh, biasness for me. Oh God. I, I really, I think that with a new, and, and I know Steve Wilkes got a kind of a raw deal, but I think with a new coaching staff, I think we're going to see Josh Rosen take a, big step forward next season. Um, he was my, I thought, the most prepared. I don't know if prepared is the right word. Um, the most ready quarterback to come into the NFL, the most cute uh, NFL-ready quarterback. There you go. Good Lord. Couldn't figure that <laughs> word, you know. Um, so I, I think next season we're going – and maybe it shouldn't be just Rosen, but it should be – this QB class is going to be one of the best classes we've seen in a long time. Um, and I think that they take that step next season and you're going to see Darnold, Rosen, uh, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, and Baker Mayfield take the lead by storm. That's a great prediction. I think that uh, we're just going to see continued uh, dominance from the AFC West. I don't think the Chargers are going anywhere. I think Hunter Henry uh, we might even see him in the playoffs. He's definitely going to be a strong addition to that team, even if they uh, potentially lose uh, Tyrell Williams. Obviously, we're going to see the Chiefs uh, continue to be the Chiefs. I think the Raiders are going to be better simply because there's going to be a lot of change uh, in Oakland uh, this offseason. They just have so much draft capital. Even if those are later firsts, uh, they're going to be able to uh, manipulate their way into whatever draft position they want. Uh, so we'll uh, hopefully see uh, a lot of wide receiver talent drafted uh, to then go and work with Derek Carr. Um, I also uh, do think uh, that we'll see an improved season from the Broncos, but I really do think uh, it's going to be uh, completely determined by whether or not we still have uh, Case suiting up. As, as long as we have Keenum uh, as the starting quarterback, I think it's going to be tough uh, for the Broncos offense to get going. But um, I do share that sentiment of a little bit of worry uh, from uh, or for Philip Lindsay, uh, just kind of looking at uh, Royce Freeman and what he could be 
long term. So I think that we're just going to see uh, a lot of just dynastic teams beginning to be built right now as some dynasties begin to dismantle as we're seeing in uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers and in the New England Patriots. So that's what I uh, foresee for 2019. Um, so that is it for today. Please make sure to follow your head technicians. You can follow myself, Aton Mosey at FF underscore Wonderkid uh, on Twitter. Uh, you can follow Sam Lane at FF Stompy. Go ahead. Please make sure uh, to give him a follow. Ask him about how he took down the Scotty Fishbowl. Uh, you can find my work at Fantrax and Fantasy Pros. Go ahead and follow what Sam's working on at FF Statistics, F3Pod, IDP Guys, and honestly, anywhere and everywhere on the Twitterverse uh, right now. This guy is absolutely everywhere. You'll hear him uh, from a new, uh, a couple other podcasts uh, coming out soon. I don't really want to ruin the surprise. <laughs> I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a hooer. <laughs> Uh, also, please check out the pods, uh, pin tweet, and DM me at FFWonderKid for a full Dynasty Diagnostic report. Uh, thank you for making it to the Dynasty Diagnostic Service Center today. Uh, be sure to keep up with your scheduled maintenance and catch us next time to ensure quality performance. See you guys in the next one.